Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper, and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that, though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. I am here on the Invisible Truths podcast with my coach and friend, Mark Cordon. Um, Mark wears many hats. <laughs> he uh, was formerly in a punk rock band, from what I can gather. I haven't found the music just yet, but uh, I'm, I'm searching. Be sure. I'm definitely searching. You're roasting me in the first minute. <laughs> it's so on. He's also an expert in the field of positive psychology. Um, he runs a class or, or co-runs a class that he founded called the Joy Revolution. Um, he has a book out, at least one book out uh, already. He also has his own podcast called Golden Mike Live. Um, and he is a personal coach. He coaches coaches. Um, as well as anyone that wants to uh, develop their uh, business or just is seeking interpersonal coaching. Um, and there's probably much more that he does um, that he can touch on later. But, uh, needless to say, he's a pretty exceptional human being. Um, and I'm excited to have him on Invisible Truths to get his take, especially from a um, psychologist standpoint, of what it means to be radically self-aware. Um, and so, Mark, before we get started, is there anything that you want to add about your background or, or um, about kind of what intrigues you most about this topic? No, I was definitely not in a punk rock band. And, <laughs> that up. and so I, I'm just looking forward to co-creating with you today, bro. Mm. And, and then, seeing where it goes from there. Uh, I, I love the idea of radical self um, acceptance and awareness. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I... I like just the, the the term itself is provoking mm, yeah you know and, and so i'm just i'm looking forward to just opening up and see where we go perfect perfect all right well let's jump on in then um and so in learning about your story mark uh you've talked some about your vocational journey kind of the different transitions that your vocation and career trajectory has taken you as mm -hmm. you have um kind of unearthed more about yourself, your motivations, your desires, and passions. And so I'm wondering today, as you reflect on the idea of radical self-awareness, especially as it relates to your vocational journey, um, how would you say this idea of awakening to your most authentic self and becoming radically self-aware has affected your understanding and your application of vocation? Wow. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to start with a knockout punch. As a Jumping one right in. <laughs> You know what? I, I, I wish I could start this podcast off and, and drop um, some kind of profound knowledge um, and, and some sort of insight into um, my evolution. Mm -hmm. Or it, it feels like it, uh, both an evolutionary journey and a complete journey of unlearning mm -hmm. and get to the point where um, radical self-awareness feels almost like I know nothing. Mm. Anymore. You know, um, uh, you know, I, I think coming from a certain um, uh, walk of life being, uh, you know, raised to believe what my parents believed as, you know, um, you know, there was a time when I was like a super hardcore Catholic. The first mm. thing that I learned, man, when someone taught me how to uh, 
to shoot the middle finger, to shoot the bird. Yeah. I closed the door. I locked it. And I remember shooting it at the devil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was on a mission, son. And so, like, going, going from that point to, to thinking that all my wisdom came from this transference and, and believing that it came from all my teachers, right? Oh, no, you got to keep that cat in check. <laughs> you know, uh, dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, that was coming from my teachers. And so that there really, there really was a point in my life where I, I, I was like, if I, I need to learn to trust people outside of me because they know myself better than I do. And I'm just this little kid in the world that really has no intuitive self. And so I got to learn. And the way that I'm going to learn is through some pain. And if I can learn to love that pain, then I'm going to learn to love myself. And so in many ways, it was just like this cycle of being like a people pleaser. Right. And so that's definitely what, um, self-awareness felt like self-awareness felt like I didn't know myself and I needed to default to others whether that be a parent uh, a teacher um, someone in in an authority figure right um, I do think that like some of the first things that I wanted to be when I was younger was Michael Jackson you know I, and I didn't understand what that meant you know and so I thought that it meant actually going into a band and performing, right? And um, I realized when I did have the opportunity to perform, it was less about the music aspect of things and it was more about the reflection that was happening as a songwriter. And it was about the connection that I was making to the audience. And so there would be this like aha moment that someone would have about some crappy song you, you wrote, you know? And, and the next thing you know is that they were having an aha moment. And that's what I loved about, that's what I loved about my experience. And I, and I took that into education. Um, and I think that when, when it comes to the idea of vocation, um, vocation feels like this calling that you have from the beginning of time and you need to stay rigid to that. And at the time, my calling was being in higher education and doing multicultural education, doing intercultural education. Um, uh, looking at what identity development meant uh, in adolescence. And it completely has been a calling. But I also think that as you develop, your calling gets louder and louder and gets more developed as well. It's kind of like, at first it felt like a small bullseye. And in looking and maybe unlearning some things that I thought I needed to do, I needed to stay in education. I needed to get a PhD. And that's the only way that success would look. Well, the bullseye stayed very small. Um, and in unwinding some of that stuff and maybe learning to trust myself a little bit more, having a little bit more self-assuredness. Um, also at the same time, like not completely trusting pure empirical data. Also trusting some experience and some gut experiences, some intuitive hits that I was getting. Um, to be able to balance that a little bit more. I'm definitely not close to being fully actualized like Maslow talks about, but I do feel like I'm a little bit closer and the bullseye has gotten bigger. And so in many ways, it doesn't feel right for me anymore to be um, uh, talking about positive psychology with maybe eight students. 
it feels larger. My purpose feels larger. My vocation feels larger. It feels like I'm on a bigger stage with a bigger amplifier, but still doing the same things, talking about what it means to find what's going right in the world, the positive psychology piece. And also, how can we relate that to my experience as a Filipino-American, the social justice piece? And so it does feel like this weird circuitous route when I look at it. And, and if I think about like, what is that vocational journey um, answer? I don't know. And what I do know is that I, I, I feel really happy about the work that I do on a daily basis. I know that I can't wait to get out of bed. I know that when I go to bed at night, I'm, you know, I, I, I practice more gratefulness than I, I have in the past. Uh, I'm not an expert at gratefulness every single day, 24 seven, like, you know, the, um, the positive psychologists preach, but also at the same time, like it's, it's this really cool journey of finding my own um, without getting stuck in the journey as well. Right. Like if you only become a journey person, you're going to be just walking around the base of a mountain your entire life. Right. And so there are certain like objectives that I have. I want to see things like in the joy revolution um, where um, I can meet some objectives to, to be able to take care of my family while also serving like full out. I'm also learning that like I don't have to be um, bound to a location. I don't have to I don't have to settle in Atlanta or Los Angeles or Tampa. And though my family is growing, <laughs> though my family is growing farther apart, I can find ways to tap into them. Um, so it's, it's been a really cool experience. And, and when you talk about radical self-awareness, I don't know, like, I feel like it's like, um, in, in science, there's this idea of, uh, you never really know where an electron is. Like when you put your finger on the electron, it's gone. And I feel like it's the same way with radical self-awareness. If you think that you figured out the self-awareness, then you stopped growing. Like, it's almost like when you, it's like taking a picture, picture of yourself running. You look at the picture and you were there five seconds ago, but you're not there anymore. And I don't know if that's the way you look at it, but that's the way I kind of look at it. I don't know. Yeah, that's, I love that analogy, especially, um, thinking about the electron, right? Electrons blow my mind, just generally speaking. I mean... So will my music. <laughs> I'm counting on it. Now I know you were a songwriter too. Oh, man, this is great. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> you know, but the fact that an electron can literally disappear from one physical space and reappear in another physical space, and we don't yet understand how it got there and the route it traveled to get there, right? That is so deep. And, and I think it really speaks to the journey of radical self-awareness sometimes. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you look back and realize you have disappeared from one spot and, and appeared in another spot. And it takes a while to figure out exactly how you got there if you ever understand the route at all. No, and I, you know what? I, I, that's what I love about conversations like these is, is like you don't even realize that the point you go from being like, uh, I don't know, like a wave to like a particle, right? And like, there's these periods and epochs of your life where like, people will be like, hold on a second. Like, you went from being like this, like, um, you know, person who was full on in education. And then if you actually look at my timeline, there was a 10 year gap between the passion in education and the passion in positive psychology. 
and someone asked me about like if you look at the like not really comparing it to electron but if you look at the path you completely disappear and i realized that that was a different path in a different dimension and when i disappeared yes i went dark but also at the same time it was like it was like every second movie of a good trilogy right it's usually that internal dark movie right yes. that person turns in in themselves yeah. and they like question good and evil mm. you know yeah. and so there's this time where i was it was just like what the heck what the heck is going on like everything that i thought i was learning about um growing up and family um and 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 structure is not what i want and i don't know exactly what i want and then there's some things that I'm getting scared of uh, in terms of understanding like Catholicism even more in, ter in terms of like, I'm, I'm practicing some things that are more for external folks. I'm showing up to look pious. I'm not actually pious. I'm sitting here saying there's no empirical evidence that you existed um, statue on the cross. Um, and I was probably the most angry, even more angry than like when you're a kid and you're picked on and you suddenly realize you have power, right? Even more angry than that stage. But it was like this self anger and I can't explain that part. And also it was a part of the journey. And if, you, if I tell the story linearly, I, like a particle, I appear and disappear. And then like good scientists will be like, yo, your timeline is completely off. What does that dark period look like? And I'll go and I'll look at that timeline and I'm like, that in and of itself was a whole like mini series of strange events where I'm sitting at my desk uh, questioning whether empirical data works anymore. I'm saying to myself like, um, if there is something larger than myself, it's my birthday and everyone is going out and I've got a paper due tomorrow. And like, I demand someone walk with me right now. And mm -hmm. like, it was these questions and anger that I had. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this for? And I'd write this paper and I'd be like, I'm writing this paper to appease the five people and the advisor that I have when I could be going out and furthering my relationship my real relationships, but I'm working on performing in front of you guys right now. And so there's this really angry dude that was coming out. And I'm like, am I an angry grad student? Am I a person in dissonance? Yeah, shout outs to anyone in grad school. Um, am I a person in dissonance right now? And I think it was a whole bunch of things. And so um, there's, there's radical self-awareness, there's radical self-acceptance, and there's invisible truths that you talk about. And like, oftentimes when those invisible truths become visible, like an electron, you've moved to the next invisible truth. Like it's, it's just a unraveling of one invisible truth after another, it never ends. And the thing is, is that, that used to frustrate me because I wanted to know the ending of my story. And I also wanted to know the empirical data so I could faith and trust. And now a lot of it has become, this is really a fun game. And like as one invisible truth like shows up, level up. Next invisible truth, 
oh, it might be time for me to leave the joy revolution and talk about the shadow self. That might be my next vocation. And understanding that my, my vocation is where it needs to be right now, as long as I'm present with it, and being open to whatever the next iteration of that vocation looks like. So to make a long story short, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, man, as you're talking, so many things um, have connected for me. I, I knew that we had some points of commonality in our stories and our lives, but I'm now beginning to hear just how much overlap there is um, between our, our two stories. Um, so I'm going to touch on some of the things that really stood out to me. Okay. The first being, you, you know, you self-identified as a people pleaser at some point in your life, right? Um, and yeah. I, I also self-identify as one. Um, I'm almost 31. And so I'd say for the first 25 years of my life, at least, I was uh, predominantly a people pleaser. Um, and for mm -hmm. me, that desire to please people came out of a, a need for safety and a fear of harm. You know, uh, growing up in an abusive home, if I didn't please the right people, right, I was going to get hit, I was going to be in danger from physical or emotional violence, right? And emotional abuse and violence can hurt just as bad, if not worse, than the physical abuse and violence sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so even once I was in a safe situation and adopted into a good family, that mode of operating still continued. And it took me another decade and a half to, to not just break it, but to even name it and see it, let alone begin to deconstruct it. And mm. so, so the question I want you to start with is, um, you know, what do you think was at the root of the people pleasing for you? What motivated you to people please? Um, and then as you begin to unpack it, maybe talk about what, what caused you to see it? What, what opened your eyes to the fact that that's kind of how you were operating? Mm. Um, I th you know, I think, a. Uh... Boy, if, if I put my finger on one thing, it's going to jump to another thing. But I can definitely remember a couple times. Um, I, I definitely think that uh, really a lack of uh, esteem growing up. And, and I don't blame anybody on that, uh, on that piece. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you turn on, uh, as a middle-class Filipino-American, you turn on, like, Sesame Street. And the song, uh, One of These Things is Not Like the Other, comes up. And you're like, oh, that's a fun game. Th three circles in one square. Ha <laughs> ha, the square doesn't fit in, right? The next thing you know is you're kind of going uh, to class and you're like, wait, hold on. I'm playing the one of these things is not like the other. And like, I'm like the only dude that looks like me in here, you know? Um, you know, also at the same time, like it was, you know, in my family to be dark meant that you were coming from a certain class. And so stay out of the sun, Mark. Stay out of the sun. Don't get too dark, right? I remember those messages from my from um, cousins and, and aunts and uncles that really had probably grown up with, with some oppression um, coming from the Philippines and, and some um, um, colonial mindsets. And um, I took on that. And, and I remember... Uh, one specific class where they were talking about the indigenous people of the Americas and they were like, what tribe is Cordon from? And I realized that my internal game of one of these things is not like the other is being played by everybody. And I did not want to stand out for any reason um, growing up. 
Like, and so I remember that as being sort of the basis for just wanting to please everybody is rather than standing out, being called out, um, having to do things against my will. Like I just remember little things like um, violin lessons, you know, and, and I just didn't want to, I want to be Michael Jackson. I didn't want to be a violinist performance monkey. Right. And I just remember having to stand in front of a lot of people and, and talk about or, 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 or play for them, you know? And so it became a very people pleasing type of thing going into college, um, uh, going into uh, to multicultural work where you're trying to build bridges versus um, truly looking at what controversy with civility feels like. And that truly is having a voice and being respected. And sometimes like, I, I felt this guilt of being like a male and this guilt of, of having privilege, you know, and, and watching other folks struggle, uh, heteronormative things, you know, having that guilt um, and, and being like, man, I didn't have to struggle like, like a lot of people. And so who am I to be like, trying to stand out right now. And so it was more suppression, more suppression, more suppression. And even now, um, as I tell you, I don't know, right? Um, I think one of the things in terms of invisible truth, radical self-awareness is um, the levity that I have in my demeanor. Very powerful laugh, um, but also one where if I'm hiding, I'll use that laugh to distract people and to get out of a precarious conversation, or I'll get out of a laugh in order to not have conflict with civility. And so I need to make sure that I'm not overusing some of my strengths. So th these are some of the invisible truths that I'm just working on in the now with you. I need to make sure that I'm not using those invisible strengths to turn myself into a caricature of myself. You know, um, and I, I think um, not in, you know, in, in, in many ways, there's still a hiding that goes on if I just show up as levity, Mark, and Mark who doesn't have struggles or Mark who made it and knows every fucking thing. Don't, man. I don't. And in fact, I'm, I'm standing here hopefully um, uh, not altruistically, but a little bit selfishly looking to learn something from you, Ben about what I can do with my life and that laugh and making sure I don't hide and how I can deliver my message even stronger in terms of my vocation. So the people pleasing for me hasn't gone away completely, but I do know that I do know when, like I, I am trying to recognize when it's coming up and, you know, I was just doing a podcast the other day about death and, you know, as your family grows older, it starts becoming something you think about even more. No amount of freaking positive psychology can get you to not think about certain human things, right? And I realized in that conversation, I was laughing more than ever. And it was because I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with the interview. And what I learned then, looking at the snapshot of who I was, was that the next interview I do, check that laugh, only when I think it's funny, not when I think it's uncomfortable. And when it's uncomfortable, let me see if I can have that conversation. So it just happens to be that you're the next conversation. <laughs> Radical self-awareness after a, a, a discussion about death.
But I, I think the people pleaser thing is something that I always have to keep in check. It doesn't serve as much now when, when you're working with people to empower them, to, uh, look at deep levels of empowerment. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and it, it served at the time when I was a, a, a kid trying to protect myself. It doesn't serve now. And so now I, I get to work on the next level of that, like a video game. Yeah, yeah, I man, I love that. And I, I really appreciate your authenticity. Um, one of the reasons that I enjoy talking about radical self-awareness uh, and sharing my own narratives is because I think there's a, a liberation that comes when we're willing to be authentic, right? When we're willing to name not only our stories, um, but specific fears, specific pains, specific things we're dealing with in the moment. Um, so much of our culture is fabricated. You know, uh, we see advertisements that tell us to buy this product and we'll be sexier, we'll have a happier life, we'll make more money, right? We rarely get to know that. <laughs> Revolution? Oh, my <laughs> yes. Sure. Coaching with Mark Codone. They were all making you sexier, happier, and giving you more money. <laughs> you know, but when That's we. That's an authentic laugh. <laughs> when we make space to get to the root and to name um, our heart's burdens, our heart's desires, and, and our invisible truths. I think that's contagious, right? That space is contagious and, and liberating. And so I appreciate you, um, you making and holding a, that space here. Um, and, you know, I, so as I have gone through my journey of naming my desire to people, please, and then understanding how to use it, right? Because it doesn't ever go away, right? I'm always going to want to be loved and accepted and safe, yeah. right? As I should be. Like that. <laughs> if you don't want those things, then there are deeper issues that you probably yeah. need to unpack with somebody, right? Yeah, you gotta probably talk to somebody else, <laughs> right? Um, but it, so, so then I know those base desires are always going to be there, right? Um, and I also know that because I was so heavy into people pleasing as a child, I learned how to read people exceptionally well, right? Because if you're going to mm -hmm. please someone, you have to know what they want. Um, and so now that I think about, okay, how do I use the skills that I have from this desire to people please? Um, I'm able to not only understand people's needs, but kind of begin to see maybe what they're hiding and then ask myself what I'm hiding, right? And is there some way that I can be a little more vulnerable uh, to allow them space to be vulnerable as well? Or do I have something that I can offer them that might put them at ease um, and help them open up? And so I'm wondering how you are using the skills that you acquired through people pleasing in your daily life, either in your vocation, in your relationships, um, you know, uh, love life, family, how do you use that skill of, of reading people um, now that you're tapping into kind of more your personal power as well? How does it come out day to day? I think it depends. Um, you know, my ego is super fragile. So, you know, like if, if, um, if I, I'm in a people-pleasing mode and someone is not receptive to it, well, then I'm hurt, you know, and then all of a sudden a different mark will show up, you know, and one that I need to, con like, one that I need to make sure that my emotional um, capacity can understand the disappointment of rejection, right? Um, it, it still hurts to be rejected, right? And, 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 you know, even after all these years, it'll feel like a child, I'll feel like a child at times. But also at the same time, I think one of the biggest things in coming forward is you're right. People pleasers get a good read on people. And if taken to a weird direction, and I've done this, you can turn into a manipulator and not even know that you're manipulating somebody. 
Um, and, and part of it is you're, you're manipulating the situation to not be heard, right? So you're just trying to keep people at a distance and stuff. And so one of the, the greatest things about like you, you talking about making space is this feeling of freedom that you feel. Freedom is contagious. It is absolutely contagious. It's light. It's not heavy. And um, to me, rather than looking at it as manipulation, is how can you create a win-win situation in which both people feel the lightness? And not like levity lightness, but like the, fr the lightness that comes with freedom and bullcrap being taken off your back. The lightness that comes from maybe being seen or connecting with another human, um, the way that it shows up is very different. You know, um, it, it's 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 very different still as as in, a, you know, a, a good Filipino Catholic boy showing up for, you know, my uh, my dad who might be reeling at times in terms of health. It's very different for uh, me to be a, a 40 something year old. Yeah. I look great. If you see my picture guys, um, for 40, <laughs> but for a 40 something year old to be in a relationship in which it's a very public relationship. We both co-teach the joy revolution, but also have to be very real about the struggles that we go through as a couple. And so I have to be, um, pretty, radically honest with myself about the fact that this isn't going to be a couple in which um, people make re uh, relationship goals, hashtag, right? Um, it's more of a couple that is evolving in front of you and uh, a couple that we have each other's back when someone, when someone is ill. Um, you know, uh, when, when we disagree like all couples do, um, we do it in a way that is with, um, with, with loving kindness towards each other and not, not like all of the terminology that we pick up, like truly, what does it mean to be loving and kind versus being a people pleaser and being freaking nice and pushing down the emotions or pushing down the hurt or pushing down the fragility? You know, my partner has seen every part of me, like in terms of my emotions and every part that I feel vulnerable and every part where I feel like I'm not good at and is very accepting of that. I'm the one that's very rejecting of it and feel like I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint her and prematurely will try to cut it off sometimes. Right. And so like the part of that game is making sure that I understand that that's my uh, neurosis kicking in. And there's no reason to be neurotic or flinch anymore. I'm in a good place. I don't have to put up my dukes. Just, you guys got to see this dog that's on the camera. <laughs> I don't have to put I don't have to put up my dukes and be in like fight or flight here. You know, I've also learned in business there's people that read me better than I read them. And they will um if if I'm not careful, they will pull me into their agenda and the next thing I know I'm absorbed. And so like um and it's not it's not something I blame on another person. It's just more so like radical Radical self-awareness and invisible truths help you navigate through this stuff, you know? And so asking yourself that question, like, okay, what was the opportunity that I took from today? And how can I develop that like an electron? And tomorrow, when I play this game again, and it's on, it's reset, basically, 
how do I, how do I get to do it in a new way? You know, when you kind of gamify things, there still is room for the ego to play and be hurt, but it also takes away the, the complete tragedy of being that kid in class that gets called out. And so you're such a victim, you know, um, no, my soul chose this body to play this game, you know, and at the end of the day, it will return and we'll have the ultimate wisdom. And that's what I feel like I'm, I'm coming into with some invisible truths. This was part one of my interview with Mark Cordon on the Invisible Truths podcast. To learn more about Mark, visit www.markcordon.com. I'll post his information on the Invisible Truths Facebook page. So go there to learn more about his coaching practice, the Joy Revolution, or you may even find a tidbit of his old punk rock music there. You just never know. It'll be a surprise. Part two of this interview will air next Monday. Yes, there is more dopeness to come. And in my opinion, somehow the second half of this interview is chalked full of even more goodness than the first half. So I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. As always, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review so that way I know how to improve upon this podcast. I want to leave you with a little homework this week. Mark and I both shared about our own experiences with people-pleasing and how that has affected our lives. So I want you to think about an invisible or uncomfortable truth about yourself. Something that you know or are aware of in the back of your mind but don't often speak out loud. Whatever that is, name it for yourself however you want to. Then as you move throughout this week, be aware of the times that it comes up. And when I say be aware, I mean, yes, please make a mental note, but also document it. Maybe compose a text message or email to yourself, write it in the note app of your phone, or journal about it. Whatever you need to do to document when and where it came up. And once you get to the end of the week, Saturday or Sunday, just look back at the moments that trait or characteristic came up throughout the week and see what you can learn from those moments. What did they have in common? What didn't they have in common? What were the situations? Was it a certain time of day or with certain people? Just be curious, approach it like an outside observer and see what those moments teach you about yourself, about your rhythms and about your relationships. And if you are feeling extra ambitious this week, share your observations with one person you trust and ask them to do the same. I look forward to connecting with y'all next week. This has been episode five of the Invisible Truths podcast. I'm Ben Tapper.